business success usually comes to those who are too busy to be looking for it. Join RVK for the award-winning RV on Business Show every Tuesday at 12 midday. It's not about thinking out of the box. There is no box. Only on 101.9 High FM. Welcome to 101.9 High FM. It is 11 minutes past 12. Thank you so much for joining me. And this show is all about positivity. It's all about taking potential and turning it into reality. Often we are constant, often we are constantly surrounded in South Africa by negative media, especially as the Jewish community with what's been going on at the International Court of Justice, what's happening in Gaza with the ongoing war, communities under pressure, communities feeling a little bit insecure at times, yet there's an organization that is part of our community that is going to the most vulnerable of our community, has been doing so for the last 30 years, and saying, how do we as the community take that which is in potential and turn it into the reality at giving the most possible productivity out of it? In other words, taking young children who have very little chance in life and growing them and developing them so they can be constructive and active members of society and give back and can start to start start a culture of giving to the community, allowing people to speak, to pick their heads up, to be proud, to be positive, to maybe be a little bit forward and aggressive with their way of doing things so that they can also become leaders and in turn allow other people to become leaders. Nelly Zembe is a manager at Africa Tikkun, Nelly, welcome to Chai FM. Thank you, Avi. Thank you for having me. You've got a beautiful smile, but you've got to remember it's mm-hmm. radio. Yeah, you've got to talk. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, <laughs> I thought you were going to cue me in. <laughs> uh, um, but absolutely. I was, <laughs> I, was, I, was absolutely, I was smiling because I was agreeing with everything that you were saying, that we absolutely have something to be celebrating at the moment. And there is, there is like horrible things happening around us. But in the midst of all of that, I think it's also important for us to pause and celebrate where we have celebratory moments like right now with the metric results and I think um, it it dies down so quickly but the significance of it is something for us to just drag out a little bit longer because of the effort that young people put into that and the communities and the environments that show up for them to be able to achieve the kinds of results that they have been able to achieve and so I'm really happy to be talking about this right now almost like a you know a week into into having received these results. You look like a proud mother whose son just, uh, or daughter or child, just did incredibly well. And that really is contagious. It comes across that excitement. Nearly what you basically said in the introduction that you just gave was that it takes a village to bring up a child. Because you mentioned community. One thing that I know growing up in South Africa, having brought up my children in South Africa, is that you can almost live in a bubble. You can live a couple of kilometers down the road from Alexander Township and never actually have driven past the place, certainly never been in. And your only interaction with people who live there is the guy who comes to clean your garden once a week or maybe the lady who comes to work at you and there's a good morning, how are you sort of story. Take us 
into a day of your life and explain to us why you are smiling with such pride and with the matric results. Because all our kids have written matric. We've all been through it. But I don't think we understand what these youngsters have been through and what they've achieved. So just paint the picture for us. Absolutely. Um, so, and I like that you're talking about Alex and Deep Slot because these are the context where we have found a lot of, you know, purpose in the services that we're providing to young people, especially. So, um, to just give you a, a picture, I'm more into monitoring and evaluation. So, I'm actually pretty numbers and results heavy. But what I like about that is that they give they give an image of the day-to-day work that people are putting into providing environments for children to be able to perform better than what their circumstances predict for them. So if you look at the metric results in context like Alexandra and Deep Slot and Orange Farm, a lot of those schools are actually doing below the, the average of the, you know, the national average of 87 point something percent. But we plug in, we've got, you know, a, a team of people that come in with not just passion, but expertise to say every child deserves an equitable education and how do we do that how do we elevate them beyond the circumstance of a school that is poorly resourced beyond the circumstance of not having access to a computer not having access to extracurricular activities and understanding that holistic you know that holistic approach that makes a young person actually do well And so you have children that go to their schools because we're not a school, right? We are just positioned to support the school. And then these learners then come to Africa to come afterwards into an environment where they are able to receive not just a meal when they arrive, because we understand that a hungry child is not able to do coding and robotics afterwards. But then we then have a team of staff that's going to pay specific one-on-one attention to these children to find out where are your gaps, where do you want to actually improve, you know, how can we elevate you so that you can perform well, not just to compete with the learners in your school, but to also compete nationally for things like bursaries and education. Um, and scholarships for them to go to universities. And so I speak in the context of us having achieved a 94% matric pass rate with all of our grade trials. That's over 400 grade trials that we were we were working with last year and 94% of them passed their matric in comparison to not just our 91% um, pass rate from last year, it's also higher than the national pass rate consistently. But what I like to brag about here, and maybe that's the smile on my face, is that It's not just higher just because we did something, but we look at the specific schools that we are working with in in partnership and in collaboration and our kids perform better than even the pass rates of their specific feeder schools. And so we know that there's, there's a magic in our approach as an organization that allows these children to show up for their academic and cognitive development that makes them do better than their peers. It's absolutely incredible because you've really created a bolt-on to the side on the normal education. You're not there to challenge the existing structure. You're there simply to add value to it going forward. Um, what a, one of the listeners just sent through is the tutors that you have that are with the, 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 the learners late on in the day. Are they themselves graduates of your own system or are these volunteers or is it a mixture of both? It's a mixture because, again, what learners need is also very varied, right? They need people who've had 
the experience of having gone through high school and having conquered all of the hurdles that so so we've got they're very close in age group as well so they're almost like providing a peer education kind of approach but we've also got older learners who can provide a safe environment and I speak about safety from a place where they can feel seen um, from a mentor kind of um, role as well as a parental role where they can speak about their problems and challenges that they may not actually feel free to open up about um, with anybody else at school and at home. So we've got a mixture of stuff because we recognize that what children need from an after-school environment is also very different. But what we like is that our graduates also come back to provide specific tutor tutorship for the learners in preparation for the exam. So our top achievers um, have a way of giving back to the organization to start doing extra classes over their semester holidays, which allows a really nice cycle of taking and giving back to the organization. Nelly, we need to take a quick break, but when we come back, I think one of our listeners has been watching too many movies about the hood somewhere in the States. And it's got a very interesting (laughs) question. We'll come back to that in a moment. Yeah. This is RV on Business. Nelly, what the lady, um, I see her name at the bottom, wanted to know is, let me read it out, maybe it's a bit. One thing we have seen from a lot of visuals of movies in America is that there is resistance from the community often to these type of initiatives where children who attend them are victimized and are often seen as sellouts to the hardships of the community. I don't know if this is a practical example for us here in South Africa, but can you please talk to this regards, Sandra? Right. I mean, there are there are some similarities in that the the discourse that is made popular in a community is young people who are getting involved in negative behavior or in behavior that's not necessarily beneficial to their growth. And so you have issues of gangsterism, which is quite big in, in Orange Farm, one of the areas where we work. You have a popularity around teenage pregnancy, alcohol and substance abuse. These are prevalent in the communities where we work and we can't deny their existence and, and work in a bubble. But it does not necessarily deter young people from attending with our with our after school program because I think what has almost happened almost unintentionally is that the program is self-marketing. So we, I think in patients, you speak to that 30 years of having been implementing, it has a, it has a magic to it as well, where the young people who've gone through the program for two, three years are able to start showing results that, you know, their friends and their peers and their teachers and community members start to ask, what are you doing differently? And so that self-marketing approach has, has positioned the organization in a place where that that negativity is not is not what people see up front. They see uh, a well-modeled young person who is behaving differently and having different results for their lives. And so people want to know how can we how can we get with you know that that kind of result as well. Nelly, Africa Curtain is obviously a non-profit organization. It's funded by donations. In the last while, um, the world of charity, the world of fundraising has become very, very challenging in the sense that there's a tremendous amount of donor fatigue. We see that around the world, but there's also skepticism. People want to see where the money is going. 
And often um, my experience is that people have said, bring me a project, give me the budget, and we will fund it. Don't bring me an organization where I'm paying salaries. How yes. have you been able to keep your donor base going? You clearly have a stellar track record. You clearly have a vision for the for, for the future. But the country, the milieu itself is more and more difficult with people maybe turning around and saying, especially international donors, people are starving. Let me rather put my money there. Why should we invest for 30 years in the future? What's your, how do you talk around that? Yeah. And I mean, it's it's easier to fund somebody who's starving because you can see immediate results, right? You can see the impact of it almost immediately. And I think that's where we also come in because we've got an emphasis on impact. We don't do it just as a day-to-day exercise, as a tick box. We have our almost like every activity that we do is intentionally aligned to what is the impact. And so these young people, for example, who've achieved a 94% matric pass rate, the majority of them have been with the organization since they were babies in the early childhood development program. Mm -hmm. And this is something where it was an intentional thing to say, we understand all of the hurdles that young people face along the way. And you can fund this child now with an understanding that the impact is they will be able to achieve their metric pass rate in record time with less chances of repeating a grade, with less chances of dropping out. And so our promise is a promise of accountability to the impact, not to the activity that we're going to do in a day-to-day, but it's almost a promise from the organization that we can demonstrate in the long term what the result is of having done something diligently and having done it well and consistently over time. And that's the, the beauty of having an organization like yours which started with the right intention, has kept that flavor all the way through. In fact, the management has been passed almost from father to son, one could say, just keeping that absolute clear vision. Um, And also people who are successful in their own right, which allows them to focus on managing an NGO without having to be reliant on it going forward. One of the questions that that I would like to ask, I just spent a weekend now in the UK and, and met with some donors for for projects that I'm involved with here in Israel. And one of the families um, went to the South Africa and they came back absolutely disappointed and totally disillusioned. Um, they, they, they really, you know, for lack of a better term, real do-gooders, they wanted to come to South Africa and see orphanages and and they were denied mm-hmm. access. And I think it really it was a sense of not doing your homework properly. Don't just arrive mm-hmm. with pockets full of money and expect that just mm-hmm. because people are have knots in that area that they're going to roll over and allow you mm-hmm. to break protocol. There's a way to do things regardless of who people are. Um, they were very disillusioned with the government and all that. But one thing that they turned around to me and said was, We're not going to put money in South Africa because ultimately it all goes to waste because it's all good and well to graduate someone out of school. They might get into university, but then they're not going to get a job. And my answer to that was that's a worldwide issue. Someone with initiative might not get a job, but then they will start something. They will do something. If if you were in my shoes over the weekend sitting with this couple around their table on 
Saturday afternoon. How, how would you have not encouraged them, but given them hope that organizations like Africa Tikkun are the pure oil that floats above the contaminated water sometimes of a society mm-hmm. like South Africa when we talk politically? Yeah, and I mean, now you're talking about it at a macro level, right? It's, yes. And that, and that's easy to convince with the statistics show that the the way you reduce someone's chances of unemployment just by giving them access to tertiary education is drastic, right? The numbers are vastly different. If you look at young people who just have a matric and young people who've got the just a degree, we're not even talking about postgraduate degrees, you have already decreased the chances of that person and their family being stuck in poverty, right? Like these studies that show this, and this is why we're pushing that our young people not just achieve matric, but we know, yes, we might not be able to solve for the big um, countrywide unemployment problem for everybody, but we know that if our young people get a tertiary level qualification and they get a good one, where it's a critical skill um, around engineering, they're getting into digital digital degrees that um, you know they can actually leverage in a lot of other industries. Chances of employment are much higher. In fact, they are well sought after even before they finish their degrees, and so. We are looking to equip people with information because what happens is people go for the easiest degrees that everybody has and they're not necessarily a skill, but we are positioning ourselves to give young people information early and to allow them access because then we can guarantee employment even before they have finished their their degrees. Nelly, exactly to that point, I'm busy scrolling through your website and I see it's actually more than one website. I've gone back onto another one. (laughs) <laughs> it's all good and well to give this education, but am I right in saying that you guys actually have your own centers for yes. post-education? Um, it looks to me like vocational sort of education. Do you have centers like that? Yes. So we are a cradle to career. We've got a cradle to career model, right? So we want to catch the kids early, right? As early as possible. And we also want to support them through school. But once that is done, we have, uh, we've got a, another, it's, it's a partner organization. It's still part of Africa Tukun, it's Africa Tukun Services. And the focus there is specifically on career development, where we're saying, let us be the partner to help you actually excel at work, access employment, but not just access in terms of getting any job, get a job where you can actually sustain your livelihood and the livelihoods of your families and actually be able to keep that job, equip you with the skills where you're not just in a job, but you're actually growing in a job. So it's very focused on work readiness, it's it's focused on specialized skills, it's focused on positioning learners where the industry actually needs them. So we're not just piling, feeding the economy with more people where they're not needed, but saying this is this organization needs these kinds of people and then making sure that they're trained specifically to be able to add value in that industry, in that organization. And so it's not a hand-holding exercise, but it's almost like a partnership with young people to ensure economic productivity. It's so practical what you say. I remember years ago, I was involved in a business um, there was a, a, corporate, a, a, a commercial furniture business and the, fa- the factory needed two uh, woodworking specialists and they called one of the technicons the technico- in Johannesburg. It was a government-run organization and said, we don't want to see CVs, just send us your two top graduates. 
Um, we need people to work now. And these two youngsters arrived literally a couple of hours later. And the foreman gave them a cutting schedule and said, right, please work with us and get starting. And he came back an hour later. The two guys were just standing there. He said, like, what's going on? He said, like, we don't know what this is. He said, but this you would have learned in your first. Yeah. So, so we spoke <laughs> about it, but we've never seen one. And mm, what mm. the disappointment was that these guys just weren't ready for the workplace. They had a piece of paper, yes. but exactly. you know, they were dangerous. And yeah. it sounds to me like you making sure that that piece of paper actually has the gravitas and the experience that it needs to go directly into the workplace. Absolutely. Absolutely. Because the qualification itself is not going to help you keep a job, right? Like you're saying now is that people, employers are looking for people who are ready to go, ready to actually just do the job when they get there, because you're already receiving an income, right? So an employer wants value for money the minute you walk in through the door. And so uh, I really like that program for that is that it makes sure that you're not ready, not just in terms of the skill, but in all of the other things that people learn too late when it comes to work, your can you work with others? Can you take initiative? Are you able to problem problem solve on the on the fly? Are you able to just show up when you're actually needed to? And so those kinds of things is what the program then cushions you with to make sure that on top of your qualification, you're also a good employee, you're a good addition to an organization when you get there. Nelly, let's approach it from another angle. You and I are partners in a business, regardless of what it is. And we are getting four new staff members coming in. Two from the northern suburbs of Joburg, regardless, uh, two from the northern suburbs of Joburg, and two from very impoverished areas, one from Alex and one from uh, Orange Farm. What do you and I need to pay special attention to to our two new employees coming from underprivileged areas where we make sure that our behavior doesn't put them at a disadvantage or on the defense or on the back foot. Because I can assume that the two kids coming from Sandton High School, you know, grew up in Sandton City, understand the lingo, sort of can get the gist of what we're doing and they'll, they'll, they'll sort it out. Or am mm. I looking at this from a jaundiced point of view and that every kid coming in should be given an equal starting point? I somehow don't believe that. Yeah. But so there, there's very few people that would look at it like that, right? Like life, life doesn't give you special treatment, especially when you need it, unfortunately. And so this is specifically why Africa Tukun exists, because we are understanding that special treatment is not going to come just because you're from a you know, you're from an impoverished background. You're basically on the same level when you get to work. And we want our young people, regardless of where they're from, to be able to perform just as well as a as the young person who went to a private school who's grown up privileged, right? We want them to be just as confident, just as sure of themselves, but also just as skilled at the job and even better. So right now, our challenge is to actually, we're not at a just as good. We want to make sure that they're even better than the ones who've actually grown up privileged. So no special treatment. Let the world be what the world is. No special treatment. We want them ready for that kind of a setup. No, Nelly, as I said at the very introduction, and I don't know where I got the words from, is to maximize the potential of every person. And that's and that's exactly, exactly what you guys are doing. Um I can't mm. help but notice when I scroll through your website and from the knowledge I have of it, it's you're obviously in a privileged um, 
black areas, so to speak. But we know that South Africa also struggles with a major poor white problem, let's call it that, where people who for generations had sheltered employment, you know, never really maybe achieved their, their potential because they just went into the same sort of jobs. Are you involved mm. in areas like that or communities like that at all? Yes, so we have actually started broadening our reach now. So our centers, our physical centers, especially the original ones that are 30 years old that you're speaking about, are predominantly in black areas. But because of the need, we are seeing more people come to us of different races, different backgrounds. And um, part of that is like what you were saying earlier about just having a qualification and not necessarily the skill that is required. So you're finding learners who actually are coming from privileged backgrounds, who have the qualifications, but are now able to come to us and say, help me, you know, help me elevate. I've got the piece of paper but I need a specific skill and that's that's open to everybody. We have everybody coming to us to access those services. We're, we're about to take another break, but uh, just before I, we, I go to the break, uh, one thing I do want to ask you is about vocational work. Um, there's always an emphasis on an academic degree. And we know, I was just scrolling through LinkedIn yesterday and I saw a youngster that I knew, I know well, who... I don't think they're too well in matric. I see now is working for one of the big uh, property companies doing commercial auctions. And I have no doubt that he will be brilliant at it and he will be a comfortable man, hopefully in the next short while. And he's in his niche, he's in his space. How do we deal with these youngsters where sitting in university is not for them? Is there is there a an avenue for them where we can help them to maximize the potential? I take, for example, whole hotel school. You know, Gordon Ramsay's turned the whole chef thing on its head. It's no longer, oh, you're a chef. It's like, wow, you're a chef. How have, yeah. you, how have you rolled with those punches as society and life has changed? Uh, so so the, the services program that you were referring to earlier has spotted this quite early a couple of years ago that we, we do have a, a focus. We have a specific niche of learners who are very handsy. And so we've got partnerships with glass fitters. We have gotten into plumbing. We've gotten into electricity. We have a lot of, um, you know, software engineering. So it's actually called specialized skills training where we are identifying people who need specific skills. There, there is pride in, in um, careers like, plumbing and and you know glass fitting because those are critical skills in South Africa and so like I said earlier really sharing information with young people and pointing out that this is where the economy is going this is this is where the opportunities are and and young people are very open to that it might not be everybody because we're still fixing stereotypes at the moment but there is an increasing number of young people who are beginning to be open to using their hands and starting their own businesses. And so it's paired with entrepreneurship. So they're not just creating income for themselves, but they're also now creating income around their communities. And so again, another story of, of impact there where we're seeing entrepreneurs come out of the specialized skills training components of the program. Nelly, we nearly out of time. We just got under six minutes and Craig wants us to run to the shops. So Craig, be quick. Right. We've got a lot to discuss with Nelly. This is RV on Business. Nelly, we are running out of time, as I said, so let's get straight to the point. Um, one thing that I want to ask you, especially after I have had this weekend, 
in the UK speaking to donors about South Africa, the political milieu always comes up. The, the name Junius Malema is synonymous with the destruction of the country. That's the way it's viewed from outside. Unfortunately, so is the ANC, which is most probably one of the biggest disappointments that most of us as South Africans experience. But when you're running an organization where political influence at home and in school and community is so big because of the promises that are made, how do you manage that in an educational system where someone might come in wearing a free T-shirt or a beret or some insignia or be a member of an organization? And yet when they come into that area of education, you want it to be neutral. How do you deal with that? I like I like the word neutral, right? Because that's something that we emphasize. Education and unemployment is a problem that is affecting everybody, irregardless of their political affiliation. And so that's not an area where we take a stand at all. And so our focus is specifically on the socioeconomic challenges that are affecting young people. And we like that those are universal wherever you go as long as you're on the Afri as long as you're on the on the South African terrain and so it just allows us to do the work with stakeholders who are also neutral um, and so that that is in every province that we've worked in we've been able to do the work without um, blurring the lines with political affiliations no Nelly it's a it's an interesting biological fact you know if one takes their dogs to the park there's always the challenge the dogs are going to fight. But apparently one place where dogs don't fight yeah. is if you take them to the beach because the scent oh. is constantly washed away by the sea coming in and going back. And that's why it's such a calming place. And in my mind, I often think when I bring people into an environment, they've got to be on the beach. They've got to have that relaxed sense. They've got to have that white noise of just calm behind them. But they've gone to have that constant washing away of individuality that causes dissension. You're going to be an individual, but you can't bring that into the workplace. Which, And um, maybe that's what we should all achieve, is that our workplaces should be the beach, tranquil. Absolutely. And a place where everybody's able to get on. Nearly, there's no need to thank you, because I think you get thanks every day by seeing the success, knowing that families are going to bed achieved with food in their stomachs, with hope and with ambition. And that's all because of the work that you do. So as South Africans, we owe you a debt of gratitude because if not for organizations like you, we would have communities that would be without hope. And if you've got hope, you don't have hope, you don't have a future. So thank you for that. And thank you for speaking to me today after just having had a weekend where I had to defend South Africa, even though I don't live there anymore. And these are people who want to give money. And I'm going to put the show on the pod. I'm going to put it on my on my LinkedIn profile so that people can hear it and that and they can uh, contribute. Neri Zember from Africa Tikkun, thank you very much. Craig, thanks for pushing the buttons. We'll speak to you next week.